Jeez, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. I need to eat my uh, ice-cold fat burger while I'm working. It's okay? No, it's disgusting, but go ahead. What's up, Bibi? Well, we have a couple things to discuss. Yes. Um, you want to start with Lucha Vavum? We had Lucha Vavum. It was a uh, Valentine's Day and also the day after. And uh, the day that we could not do. But uh, we meet a certain man on uh, on the 15th. It was uh, Eric Idol. Yeah. What an... We'd actually... I think... I'm not sure if we met him or we just kind of stood around and sneaked looks at him at a Cassoni show. Yes, he came to Cassoni show maybe... <clears throat> I want to say maybe two years ago, but we did not uh, interact with him. So, uh, yeah, he was a uh, dual Kelly. Brought, he, yes. brought him. Yeah. He's a friend of Blenzo. Yes. And uh, bring him downstairs during intermish. And uh, he went to go use uh, the bathroom. We saw the lucha doors and his wife, Tanya. Bibi, you do not need to tell a private story like that. He went into the stall. He closed the door. He, he take a dump? A what? Anyway, he uh, Tanya, Tanya, his wife, lovely mm-hmm. lady. She's outside. I talked to her. And then uh, Eric, I don't walk up and he just extend hand and says, um, I'm Eric. Yes, and then Bibi say, uh, no shit. I think awkward smile. But it was an honor to meet him. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm just potty mouth today because you I said know. that my hamburger chewing is disgusting. Okay, so you're going to make it much worse. Merci. Daria, you you curious to know how the podcasting couch is uh, gone? Not really. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. This week, uh, Pat Healy is our guest. <coughs> yes, he is. Uh, we met at Starbucks to uh, start the conversation. Yes. And then I had big plan to bring him back here. I yeah. set up little heart-shaped... You think you're so funny chewing into the microphone? You can barely contain yourself. Continue. Little heart-shaped lights. I put, a, you know, like a, a lace scarf over the, over the uh, lamp. And I put a, some knob champra burning, you know. And uh, bring uh, Patili uh, back to our place and uh, go to go into my room. And uh, there's Blainzo. Just uh, He does s- live here. Strings, no, in my bedroom. All... St- all over the place smoking the pot. Really, I tell him he cannot smoke it in our bedroom, yeah, so, so he has he to do it somewhere. In mine. Uh, so that was the end of that. <coughs> but, uh, Wait a second, it's podcasting couch, not podcasting bed. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're, we're, uh, it's American term. It means, oh geez, you know, usually I think it's an office in like a dank little uh, studio yes, you're city. you're describing our apartment right now. Anyway, you know, I was thinking, uh, Chloe, she asked me the other day, have I ordered her uh, a replacement father mm-hmm. yet? And it made me think, but maybe I should be settling down. Sure, you know? married life is, um, <coughs> it is a dream come true. I came up with a list of um, some requirements. Yes. You know, I thought maybe someone a little bit older, like early 40s mm-hmm. or so. Someone who's been in entertainment industry, you know, for a while. Yes. Is a comfortable, you know, understands what it's like, you know, how the, uh, you create personas that is different from who you are as a person. Yes, yes, yes. I would like someone who's had some success, mm-hmm. you know, we can live comfortable together. And I came up with the man who writes uh, Everybody Dance Now. From a CNC Music Factory? Yeah. I think he might fit the bill. 
his song has not been uh, you know I'm sure when it came out he was you know running around constantly and Co- but he, covered in ladies covered in ladies and but now maybe he is uh, wanting a little bit of a companionship that's what I think you know it's like it, the song is still out there you, you catch him on the uh, descent well I, I hope he's not uh, you know sad somewhere in a corner but the way I imagine him just the vibe I get when I you know I run through a list of peoples just the idea I think I have of him, the vibe I feel of the spiritual world in universe connection. He's probably open for Does he have a Twitter or something? How can we find this? I man? don't know. I have well, to, do you know what his name is? No, I don't know anything yet, but uh, I, how do you feel about that idea? Does it ring true with you too? You think? I don't know. He, he video is uh, filmed in a factory of sorts. I'm not wanting to it's move. A, it's yeah. a CNC music factory, probably. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm sorry, did you say you don't want to move there? No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is so funny? Well, if you get married, I don't want... He needs to move here. I don't want to move somewhere else. Okay. That's fine. My room is big. Don't you want to... Haven't you always wanted to live in a... I mean, imagine that the, the music factory... <laughs> <laughs> we cannot use this. <laughs> what do you mean? Do we have... So, I see giggles. I will, I will get back to you on, on uh, how this goes, but... So I think what we need to do is get him to be a guest and uh, see what happens. Yeah, I'll okay. do that. But I will not do podcast couch because I don't think that that's... You don't want to start a relationship that way, no? No, because there's no relationship that starts that way. It's uh, No. So uh, let's get on with the yeah. podcast, you know. Thank you for joining us. Find us on Twitter, at Twins and Facebook... And uh, Poobel Twins, the Poobel Twins. Yes, and uh, now it's time for uh, actor, writer, <coughs> lovely human being, and Virgo, Patrick Healy. <coughs> okay, so just start and tell the story. We. Oui. And don't say my name or anything like that. If you want to, you can say it. Yeah. You need to say it? No. So whenever you're ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was living in Atwater Village. This was early 2002 to late 2004. Is that correct? Late 2003. And uh, I'd gone through a horrible breakup and uh, I hadn't recovered from it. And I sort of spent every day inside uh, stoned playing Grand Theft Auto, which was great therapy, by the way, because it got out all of the violence and anger that I felt without actually having to take it out on real people, which I would never do in real life. And uh, I used to sit on this horribly uncomfortable metal futon that I also sometimes slept on or other people slept on. And it got to be so bad in that apartment, the uh, the sink just over flooded with grease and uh, in through the whole kitchen and flooded the whole carpet in the other room and our landlord kicked us out and I had no money and I had also crashed my car uh, a few months previous it was totaled for about eight months so I was I was walking and taking public transportation everywhere in LA which is miserable in its own right we had to move out of the apartment I didn't have anywhere to go my roommate was going to uh, another apartment with another roommate and so uh, there's a store at all storage space not far from where the apartment was. I was going to put all my things in, which wasn't much. I didn't take the food time. We beat the shit out of that with a baseball bat in the uh, uh, driveway, like uh, like that copier in office space. 
and uh, we we dragged everything down the storage, and it was pouring rain. I didn't have anywhere I was gonna go. Uh, had no car. Parked the car. Got everything in the storage. It's still raining. It had been an awful day, and I'm standing at the counter doing the paperwork. And uh, my roommate is, is sitting outside in the car. And the guy informed me that I had gotten a P.O. box to make sure I could get my mail because I didn't have an address. And he informed me that I couldn't have the storage space without uh, an address. So I'm animatedly arguing with him. And uh, my pants split right down the back all the way from the top of the crack of my ass to... Uh, well beneath my undercarriage and uh, of course I wasn't wearing any underwear because I really didn't even have any money to do laundry and I was just literally standing there with my ass <laughs> hanging in the breeze uh, while it poured rain outside and my roommate <laughs> described it watching from the window outside uh, me standing there animatedly arguing with the guy with my hands up and down and moving with just my bare ass swinging back and forth it was one of the worst days of my life. Things got worse for a while after that, but uh, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> but uh, it is funny now that I think about it. You know, I wish I had a video of watching myself from the outside of that. And this is the first day that we met you. Right. Oddly enough, that that actually wasn't that made it not one of the worst days of my life. Mm. Fifi. Yes. What did you give Pat that day? I gave him a pair of silver pants. Yeah. To cover up his uh, ass that was hanging out of his uh, other pants. That's right, and that gave birth to the character Larry Silverpants yes. later on. But uh, I should tell you that I did have to retire that character because the, the silver on the pants was of some kind of material that came off and it actually soaked into my legs because I got quite athletic during the performance and sweaty and it actually soaked in my legs and I, I got some sort of something something akin to lead poisoning for a little while. It was minor, but... They're lead pants, actually. Yeah. You romanticized them by calling them silver. Yeah, you hadn't mentioned that they were lead. And I, I, I did. I ended up in the hospital for six weeks, eight weeks, and I, I, I was. I thought I might not ever be able to move beneath my waist ever again. But, but we brought you flowers. That's true. But those are actually somehow you found the one flower that were that that caused me to have a severe allergic reaction. My my face puffed up like uh, one of those ug knots from Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, uh, but with, then we put some salve on your face, and uh, luckily you're already in the hospital. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then the salve that you put on my face was—it had uh, grapefruit in it, which uh, I'm also it's allergic a to. Grapefruit extract. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, like grapefruit. It was extract. It wasn't straight. I mean, it was enough to make my my eyes bleed, but uh, that it, it subsided. But uh, <clears throat> after a week or two. Then, luckily though, because uh, your eyes were bleeding, uh, people thought that you are some kind of deity. Yeah, I did. I did receive uh, a lot of those people that sort of go and look and see the Virgin Mary on a tortilla and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, people came and 
saw this sort of like new uh, version of the stigmata. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think uh, there were some photos taken. You can see them if you Google image uh, Pat Healy stigmata. Yes. That the shape of my irises actually look like two hands, like those on the on the on the nail to the cross, exactly. where the, the blood was coming out of. Yes. I don't see it personally. I Although see it. sometimes I see the two women kissing that also looks like a vase. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Or the beautiful woman with the... Uh, the left one is the beautiful woman with the shawl that's also a witch. Mm-hmm. But the right one is the vase and the two people kissing. Not not the clowns who are also a skull? I haven't seen that one. Mm. Well, your eyesight is not what it used to be after the blood started it isn't. to pour out. Yeah, so. I do. I, I literally see red. Y- yeah. But that might be psychosomatic, I'm told. Like, that's something like, I could get through therapy. It's not a rose-colored effect? Uh, that's a that's a glass-half-full way of looking at it. I never thought about it that way before. Mm. I'm literally looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. That, uh, But I'm not wearing glasses. But I am wearing glasses, but those aren't rose-colored. You're also wearing glasses. My rose-colored eyes. That, wh- who could ask for more? No. That? No one. Well, so... After this whole experience, uh, took what like nine months or so until you com- almost completely healed. Yeah, it, I almost completely healed. Uh, I mean, I'm functional now. Mm-hmm. You know? Very, very functional. Yeah. You would say fairly. Very or fairly. Uh, good, good question. Which one? I resonates? would say very fairly. Okay. But very, you know, there's a very in there, so that's that's good. That's for emphasis. Class half full again. Yeah. You're looking at me strangely. You feel guilty? Guilty? Mm. I've done very well in the years that since. I mean, I've done... Oh, I know. You would not be on our podcast if you had not... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I've done so many films and television shows, and I've written screenplays, and I've, you know, had a thriving live comedy career, and... So you prefer to talk about all this than just what happened with the pants? No, I mean, I, I'll talk about pants. I'll talk about, uh, you know, being rained on indoors uh that's happened to me uh what what that's not possible you're making it up well it's kind of funny because like as a kid everyone called me charlie brown because I've, I've always had the big head and the big forehead and especially like you know before my hairline started receding but like you know when i was a little kid i you know i had basically the same hairline that i have now and you know charlie brown was always the kid with the cloud over his head and uh i I had an experience shortly after the, 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 the pants episode where I, the relationship that I had been in was just awful. It was an awful breakup and I, I wasn't able to get over it for a long time. And this was like uh, probably a good, maybe almost close to two years after that. No, it was like a year after that had, 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 had uh, gone away. And uh, I was walking in the neighborhood here in Los Feliz, down in Vermont. There's this, um, coffee shop that used to be called Psycho Babble, which mm-hmm. was aptly named because three days out of seven, a schizophrenic would throw a chair at you or something. But uh, I ran into, uh, I, ha- I had no place to live at that point. I was staying on couches and I didn't have a car. I ran into uh, an old friend of mine from Chicago who was a director, a theater and film director. And uh, he was sitting out there and it was good to see him. We hadn't seen each other in many years. And he... Uh, he told me, you know, it was a similar situation. He was getting divorced from 
a woman that I knew that, that, that he had been married to for a long time. And I told him I was going through this terrible breakup and he had been in a car accident and his car was totaled and so was mine. And we were commiserating and we were laughing and it felt, you know, it felt good. I felt less alone in the world that day. And, um, I had to go to the bathroom. So I said, I'll be right back. And, uh, you know, I just told him about this, you know, horrible person that I felt that way about at the time who had, you know, had dumped me and all that stuff. And I go to the bathroom and I come back and he's sitting there talking to her. And I sort of hid for a while while I watched them sort of smile and laugh and everything. And then she left and, uh, I came back and sat down and he's saying, Oh, that girl's so hot. I, I'm directing the show or I'm teaching a class that she's in. I mean, he just basically told me he was trying to get in her pants and everything. And I had to tell him very sadly that, uh, you know, that was the woman that I was talking about. And he just like went white and felt really bad. And I said, you know, I don't know what else to do at this point, but to just get up and walk away <laughs> and I'll see you later. So I got up and I, um, I left a uh, psycho Babylon just as I walked, uh, from the eaves, over the the building out of nowhere it just started the skies opened up and it started pouring rain and uh, i'm getting soaked so i run down like the half a block across the street uh to where the movie theater is and i'm standing under the marquee there because that's shielding me from the rain but i'm already soaked and i thought well it's this certain time it's getting dark out and there's a movie starting so i'll go and sit in the movie for a little while you know something Something light to take my mind off things. A monster with Charlize Theron, where she plays a serial killer, and uh, is eventually executed. So, uh, so I got some popcorn and soda, and I sat down. Um, Can I ask? Uh, was it the tiny little theater? No, it was the the larger theater in okay. the middle. Because that would be depressing. Yeah, but the tiny one smells like pee because of those trees that are outside there. I forget what they're called, Jack or Jackarandas, or they have that pee pee smell. You ever notice that? That's <laughs> oh, awful. And that's not even the worst detail, but I sat down <clears throat> on the right side, and uh, this was when there used to be, I feel like there used to be like an aisle in the middle. I could be wrong about that, but now it's sort of just these long rows, but I sat down, and the first thing that happened was somebody sits in front of me and mm -hmm. turns around, and it's my landlord, who I just had horrible words with, and he kicked us out of our apartment, he turns around and sneers at me. <laughs> so I, I get up, and I walk across the aisle, and I sit down, and there's these two chairs that have a, you know sometimes if you're in a theater if the seats are broken they'll put garbage bags over them mm -hmm. so i just figured that's what it was because the seat next to it was open um and i sat down and um that's when the ceiling of the theater just right above me opened up and just started pouring <laughs> on me just me no one else in the theater and uh right, right turned my you know bag of popcorn into mush and just soaked me and um <laughs> I moved again and I sat there and I watched that movie soaking wet and uh it was after that time that that I decided that I needed to make some changes in my life <laughs> yeah things did get better after that but uh the 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 bleeding of the eyes and the lead pants notwithstanding but uh uh yeah those are those are the the days of struggle I can laugh about now weren't funny at the time Right, but but those are funny. Yeah, I mean it was funny to you at the time. I remember you guys laughing, hearing about it. And strangely enough, when I was laying in the hospital bed and I was trying to recover, and then you said laughter is the best medicine. Isn't it? I didn't find it funny at the time, though. <laughs>
would you think it's fair to say that you maybe you are in tune to synchronicities? Yes. And um, if you are in a certain place, in a certain mood, it seems that perhaps you have a powerful attraction to like instances in your life. Yeah, I think that the mind, the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind uh, creates situations and draws you to situations. And if you are in a downward spiral of some kind, you tend to attract those kinds of people and those kinds of situations. I don't think it's magic or mystical. It's like as, a, as someone who's been in therapy and <clears throat> psychoanalysis for many, many years, like I, I'm, I'm super attuned to it and sensitive to those kinds of things. And uh, I think, you know, at the same time, you know, in, in a positive uh, sense, when I'm in that place, those things seem to sync up, you know, be synchronous. What is it? Syn- syn- synchronicity-ous? Serendipitous. Serendipitous. Well, yeah. Kind of the same. Kind of the same. Well, when we first met you, we were also in a very bad place. Mm-hmm. We were actually living in a storage unit. Um, you were living in the storage unit there where I was, yes, yeah? Yes, it was very sad. Um, and then, you know, there have been times when we've all lost touch with each other. But I think we are all doing pretty well right now. I would agree with that, And yeah. here we are, back in each other's lives. Yeah, back in each other's arms, as it were. As Well, yes. yes. I mean, I'm trying to put my arms around you, but what is the, the hand that you're putting in my face? It's, no, it, well, I... I um, I hope to get that, to that later. Is that okay? Yeah, we'll just sure. do a podcast first Sorry. and then all in good time, Pat. Sorry. Is this, a, is this in reference to the podcasting couch uh, oh, topic that we had discussed before? I did not tell Pat about that, but I guess... Okay. I. What is that? Yeah, during the last podcast, I suggest to Fifi that I set up podcasting couch mm-hmm. in order to get new interviewees uh-huh. and so when you and i uh when you came over for pre-interview oh right you know what happened yeah okay so it's you understand now yeah i don't i'd only seen that in videos mm-hmm. on a certain uh well now it makes adult sites. now it makes sense right yeah i was i, I wish you hadn't brought I'm sorry, it up on the air it's, it's not all business though please Okay. Well, I just, I prefer people to think that uh, I, I go about getting my, you know, jobs and interviews clean, cleanly and, and, and in a traditional fashion and not through unseemly no, means. You, you, you passed. Yeah. You well, know. I, I know. I, but I should have passed on. On mail it alone. I think you think he should have passed on this opportunity. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, I, I enjoyed myself, but I, I have suffered a great deal of shame because of it. And now. Now the world can share in that shame as well. May I ask a question? Yes. <clears throat> you, you discussed before about how you, if you are in a downward spiral, sometimes you keep going. Mm-hmm. How do you get out of it, in your opinion? Uh, well, I can speak to that. I mean, it's it's a great deal of effort to, to, to change, you know, gears. Uh, in that case, like, uh, I was broke. And I was just feeding it by not really doing anything about it and hoping things would change. So uh, I, I got a job. I got a day job, which I hadn't had since I had moved out here, which had been like five years, I think six years at that point, and just you know loaded a truck for about a month so that I could rent a room again and um, get my car fixed. And I uh, got a new agent and manager and just started auditioning again, and I started to do uh, uh, live comedy. 
stand up and uh, sketch, which I hadn't really done since college. And I hadn't done stand up at all. I'd done sketch in college. And uh, where did you go to school? Uh, Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. Have you guys ever been through there? No. No, it's a, it's a town in the middle of uh, cornfields in central Illinois, and it's called Normal. And uh, it's that's it pretty much sums it up right there. Was it a theater program? Yeah, it was a theater program. It's it's one of the more well known um, theater programs in in Illinois because it's the uh, birthplace of Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, which you know started with uh, John Malkovich and Gary Sinise and Joan Allen and John Mahoney. Uh, you know, many many big actors started that theater company, and they all went to school there. Laurie Metcalf. Um, and, uh, so they offered an internship for, for a student every year, which I got, uh, the year I graduated and, uh, worked in Steppenwolf, uh, as, you know, crew and, uh, just was generally around production assistant. And then I started to get jobs. I auditioned for understudies and then I went on stage, you know, in a show and then started getting cast in plays there. And, uh, that got me an agent in Chicago, which got me, you know, whatever, commercials, industrials, movies that came through town, TV shows that shot there, which then brought me uh, to L.A., where the agency had an office here, and uh, started working here. Uh, and, and you then, had good luck when you first I had really here. good luck, yeah. I worked a lot for a while, and then I sort of, um, I stopped working, um, as one might do, after a while, and I had plenty of money in the bank, and didn't really know what to do with myself and uh that started a sort of downward spiral too which 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 started with dabbling in all kinds of things but but most importantly uh therapy and psychoanalysis which i got into and that you know was a good thing it was it was a good thing it's 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 a difficult thing at first and i think a lot of people quit right away because it's the first part is just hard and you just feel bad about yourself and you wonder why you're doing it but the, you have to go through the you know 12 layers of shit to get to the mm -hmm. good stuff so you know it's been a long time but it's been it's been really helpful especially during times like uh like when you guys poisoned me <laughs> <laughs> where i can i can i can you know i have tools now to you know pull myself out of those difficult situations but uh i i, I just want to say we did not mean to affect you psychologically oh i know it was not our intent so you you but you did mean to affect me physically? No, we, we, the silver pants were like a silver lining. That's what we I thought. Know. But uh, we didn't know. But they were lined with poison. Exactly, yeah. the lead lining. But, you know. We, we had we had barely anything in those days. One thing we did have was a pair of silver pants, and we gave to you. And there was a scorpion in the back pocket, too. Did you it guys? Was not a, no, I'm sorry. If, if he, he got in there, he got in there by himself. Right. Yes. It was just probably in the storage space. and. Probably. Well, we were living with rats and uh, yeah. other things. That'll do it. I noticed actually, actually, after we gave the silver pants, that the rat population uh, uh, blossomed. So, so you took our scorpion. You took our scorpion. Yeah, I mean, he took a chunk out of me too. That that laid me up for a short while. And then, you know, interestingly enough, he he um, he turned out all right. He became friends with a frog in the neighborhood, and they went, they went for a, a swim. That was the last time I saw him. He, did you notice how he managed to get another depressing story in there about <laughs> human nature? <laughs> that's the that's that's my unconscious mind. That's my unconscious mind making those connections. I believe, however, that that one can change their their nature to a certain degree. Uh, what happened with the scorpion and a frog? For for our <laughs> listeners out there, the the 
the scorpion wanted a, uh, a ride uh, across a pond. As so many scorpions do. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And uh, the frog said, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to take you. You're a scorpion. You'll sting me. And he said, no, no, I promise I won't. I mean, if I stung you, then, uh, you know, I'd drown because we'd sink. And uh, the frog says, oh, that makes sense. So he gives the scorpion a ride. And, and uh, halfway across the pond, the, the scorpion stings the frog. And he starts sinking. He's dying. He said, why did you do that? He said, you wouldn't. Now we're going to die. And the scorpion said, I can't help it. It's in my nature. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe that that is true? No, you say you. I, I don't believe that's nature. true. I think if I had gotten that scorpion to read uh, *Drama of the Gifted Child* by Alice Miller, he wouldn't have done that. He would have seen the error of his ways. Unfortunately, there is uh, no resources for scorpions, such as uh, humans have access to. Yeah, well, they can't read. They can't. No, but you can get them the book on tape. And they, they can absor- very good. They can't understand the word, but they can absorb the sounds and, and the feeling yeah. of it. Yeah. Fairly intuitive uh, animals. Yeah. I, th- I, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I'm oh, going to no, say yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying that our scorpion died? He died. Under your care? I'm, I'm assuming. Well, he probably sunk to the bottom of the But pond. I thought it was a gift, so I didn't realize I was. it was your scorpion. Do you remember what you gave us back in return for silver pants and a scorpion? Yes. What was it? It was a... Well, how do I describe this without being gross? It was a ham sandwich, but it wasn't. It wasn't any ham sandwich. It was a bronzed uh, ham sandwich with a bite taken out of it. It was actually. It was the. I got it at a uh, at a flea market in Pasadena. It was the. Uh, it was the the ham sandwich that killed Mama Cass, and it had been bronzed and memorialized. I was told that that's what it was. There was a guy. He had that. He had some locks of Elvis's hair. He had Rod, Rock Hudson's tonsils in a jar. Mm-hmm. You know, because they would had you know he had had a tonsillectomy at, at some point before mm-hmm. he got AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, and all kinds of things. But yeah, he he claimed that that was, it was they were bronze like you remember like those baby the baby booties yes. yeah, but it was the mama cast ham sandwich. But I, but I, but I understand that the smell eventually started to seep through the the bronzing. Uh, it did, and the rats of course notice it and they consume yeah. it. Yeah. But my understanding is that uh, you used your last uh, $7 to buy this sandwich. You didn't know why. You didn't know for what reason. No. But upon giving you these silver pants, you understood. You went back to your storage unit. You took out the sandwich and you gave it to us. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, I've since, I think probably I got, I got hosed there. I don't think that probably was the sandwich, but. But uh, $7 for anything that's bronze is not so bad. No. No. You know, in a strange, you know, uh, weird sort of turnabout there, the rats then died from the poisoning from the bronze. That, you know, I was not looking at the glass half full, but you're absolutely correct. So, you know, in but, a sense, we're, we're even. Yeah, except then they all, uh, you know, started to decay. And right. They were inside of our storage unit home, decaying. So for me, it wasn't the best situation. Yeah. Well, it was fine till the maggots came. Uh, the maggots uh, cleaned up the mess, and which was good, and then they turned into the flies. Right. But then they flew away. Right. It's the, it's the circle of life. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That, see, that was that was synch- synchronicity. It there, was. when we both said it, it was beautiful at the same time. Did you guys discuss this on it's the lovely. podcasting couch earlier? Or is it alright if I touch you like this? Um. Okay. Right now, it's definitely all business. Okay. Oh, okay. Thank you. So yeah, I'm also here. 
Oh yes. Um, hmm? So you, I'm, I'm here oh, as well. Hi. So you go to see a, th- a therapist for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not available. I'm married. Okay. I didn't. I wasn't looking at you. Well, I know, but it's I, weird. It's I'm, wait. What are you doing? What are you? What? You're saying you're married with your voice, but what are you? What's? <laughs> I, I'm Why are you trying you, to touch you me? You have some lint on your shoulder. Oh, okay. I didn't that, want that's not my shoulder. <laughs> okay. Bibi, are you are you strange. getting lint? Bibi, don't don't bother Plainzo. He's working. I'm sweaty in here. Oh, don't tell him. You you can open the window, but we're going to hear the no, fire, no, no, the fire no, station no, is. No. I like I like being sweaty. Uh, um, I'm probably just sweaty from the tension that's arose in the last few I, minutes. What did here. I miss? N- nothing. Nothing. I want to talk about. Let's talk about some of Pat's work. I want to get sure. a, t- a timeline down. At this, at the time that we we're giving you the silver pants, had you yet done, for example, Ghost World or Magnolia? Yeah, I had done. Yeah, Ghost World, Magnolia. Those were all the things that when I first came to LA, those films, uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, a few other things. But and I made a short film that I wrote and directed and starred in that. It was called Mullet. Mullet, exactly. Yes. With we myself were- and Michael Shannon, who who since gone on to be nominated for an Oscar and uh, Eric Hoffman and Henry Gibson who, who passed away a few years ago and then uh, I from there sort of started writing uh, trying to write a feature script that was based on that and uh, spent about five years trying to do that didn't really get anywhere with it and then uh, I put it down and I think it was like my training ground to learn how to write because I was just writing a script for five years and I didn't really know how to write a script and uh, the next script I wrote in two weeks, and that was the one that sort of has launched my writing career. It was a Western called Snow Ponies that has yet to be made, but it it made its rounds in Hollywood, and you know, so led to all these other jobs, uh, adapting books and uh, rewriting movies for studios, and uh, it led to back to just sort of again this full circle thing: a job writing for um, In Treatment, which is the show about therapy, which I had a lot of experience with having been in therapy for years. So I wrote for that show for HBO uh, first season. And um, so I've had this career as a writer, which allowed me to not uh, do the acting stuff so much for money anymore. I didn't have to go on audition and do the things I didn't want to do anymore because I was making money writing. So I focused primarily on um, independent films in which I'd have, you know, significant roles and be able to do good work. Uh, with friends of mine or filmmakers that I admire or people that asked me to do things. So I've done, you know, I think three or four uh, lead roles in films in the last, uh, I guess, five years or so, in addition to a few smaller roles in bigger films. Um, and, but those films that uh, have, you know, uh, furthered my uh, career and also sort of uh, given me uh, a chance to sort of show what I can do with larger roles we've been able to branch out and so yeah a couple of those one was great world of sound that i did and who out. directed that uh craig zobel mm-hmm. he wrote and directed it and my friend david gordon green is a producer of it uh who i'd known for a long time and they had asked me to do that and i did that and that sort of led to this film the innkeepers which is director ty west who's a, a young uh horror director really talented guy who made a film called house of the devil a few years ago that i really liked asked me to be in his new film, The Innkeepers, which is out now on demand and in theaters in certain cities. I don't know when you're going to hear this, but maybe it's gone. But you could probably see it on demand and on Blu-ray and DVD in April. And um, and then I did another film with Craig Zobel called Compliance, which premiered at Sundance this year, 
2012. And uh, I was a very successful there and uh, got bought by Magnolia Pictures and it's coming out sometime later this year, I think in the summer or the fall. Now, this is a film where you're playing a not-so-nice guy. Yeah, a terrible human. It's uh, based on a true story of a fast food restaurant uh, where a man claiming to be a police officer called during a busy Friday night and told the manager that one of her employees, a teenage girl, uh, was a thief and that she needed to be detained for a while until they could get there. And uh, what ensued was a four-and-a-half-hour period of time where the guy kept the manager on the phone and various people were brought in to interrogate this woman, uh, strip search her, make her do all kinds of horrible things. And eventually it, it ended in a sexual assault, a rape. The man who was arrested for the crime, the caller, um, well, was, was acquitted. Why? Uh, on the grounds that he, he had bought, what he had done is he had used prepaid cell phones, mm-hmm. the kind you buy at the 7-Eleven or whatever. And then uh, prepaid calling cards on the cell phone. So it was sort of a double-blind system so that they couldn't trace him. But what they did was they found two of the cards or phones were bought at Walmarts in different cities. Uh, and they found him on the security cameras on both of those. But it was, it was all circumstantial evidence. They could never actually pinpoint that he was on the phone in any of those times. But the calls stopped after the, uh, that he was arrested. So uh, he, uh, you know, is... Not guilty of the crime, but there I'll just sort of let that stand as it, as it was. But there are the sort of shocking part of it was that there's 70 other reported cases of this happening uh, in states all over uh, the country of similar incidents. Not, uh, none of them went as far as that, but some of them were pretty brutal. So the movie's sort of about uh, it's a it's listed as a real life example of the uh, Milgram experiments from the 60s, I believe, where. Uh, a man who said he was a scientist got people to administer what they thought were lethal doses of electric shocks to someone oh, yes. in another room. I've heard of this. And uh, they, would, they would do it. Uh, 65% of all people would do it just because the guy in the lab coat told them to. And uh, they would comply. And it was an was a experiment that was testing out the theory of Nazi Germany, the people in Nazi Germany who were, quote-unquote, only following orders, you know, the people who weren't evil necessarily and why, why they just did went ahead and, and did these these horrible things so it's uh it's a movie that uh has been very controversial but it's it's uh, i think brings up a lot of really important things that are happening in the world right now or that have been happening for a long time and um you know is based on a real event and it sort of uh ignites people's passions uh, both good and bad and the screenings people are very emotionally affected by it and some people have been angry and walked out or screamed at us and some people are screaming at the screen, like, why don't these people, you know, why do they keep doing this? You know, because they like to think that they would be different. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the science points out that more than half of us would have done the same thing. So I think that's what gets people upset the most, is that we've all been in situations where we have done things and we don't know why we did them. They weren't necessarily in our best interests or the best interests of other people. Especially you guys. It uh, sounds like a fun summer flick. Yeah, it is. I think it is coming out in the summer too, which is yeah, it'll be fun. It's a good, good popcorn movie. Did this? Uh, did the role, um, the feelings of being this character, did they stick with you? Yeah, they were. Um, it was 
the first time that I've done something where I didn't feel this sort of catharsis or sense of release. I mean, usually you, you, you're, you're, you're playing, you're pretending, um, and you can, you know, quote unquote, have fun with, you know, being evil or nasty or whatever. This really was unsettling to me. And I was personally, again, going through another really rough time in my life. Uh, I was uh, getting ready to uh, get separated from, uh, from my wife. Uh, and uh, so I, I sort of used those feelings to play someone who, you know, if this person hated humanity, then they hated himself. So they say that, uh, you know, actors are always supposed to like the characters that they play, no matter who they are. But, I, you know, I thought, well, if he hates himself, <laughs> what's wrong with mm-hmm. that? So it was really unpleasant every day. And actually, the way the film was made was uh, two cameras at the same time. And we were actually on the phone live with each other in the same building. So there's the set of the restaurant manager's office and then my where I'm making the calls from. And so I'm really making the calls. But like sometimes the phone would break and I would have to go in the room and sit there with the people and say these horrible things. And that was that was the worst. And that was early, like the first day, maybe. And that informed a lot for me about the character because I thought oh, well, this guy would never have the balls to like do this in person. He was never watching. He was never there. He never saw the consequences of his actions. So that made a lot of sense to me because it was an incredibly horrible feeling. I wasn't able to sort of like let go of at the end of the day like I normally would. And it was like a three-week shoot. So, Did it not provide any relief from what you were going through in real life? You get mm. to think about this other thing instead of what... I mean, I'm always able to really focus... You know, I'm going through hard times when I when I work, you know, when I write and when I act and and sort of, you know, uh, forget about those feelings for a while. But since I was just going into, I think, even worse feelings, mm-hmm. it was there was no relief. But I mean, and looking at it now, it's kind of good because I, I was worried. I had a friend come with me the first time I, I went to see a screening of it just to hold my hand because I was afraid to see myself both portrayed in that light and also I was afraid it would bring up those feelings again that I felt during the time but strangely enough I felt very detached from it mm-hmm. I was able to really appreciate the movie for what it was and it did bring up those feelings and it was almost like you know for the first time watching uh, another person it wasn't like watching myself mm-hmm. um, and uh, I like that because now I, I don't I sort of don't have to you know, live with those feelings. But the first screening that we had at Sundance was awful because it was, you know, like 500 people sitting in a room all feeling like that. <laughs> just You could just feel this powerful sense of dread and awfulness. And I don't think I'll be sitting through the movie in an audience again because I don't need to relive that again. But I, but I, um, people really do... Um, it, it may not be a pleasurable experience, but people really do uh, lo- love the movie a lot. You know, it, was, it, it really affects them, so... Did you find people uh, treating you any differently after the film? I thought that I would be, uh, right after the screening, the first screening, and it was a, it was a bit of a news story because people went nuts and it seemed like there might be some physical harm that might come to some people because of the way a few audience members were reacting. We were ushered into a an elevator like like Sirhan Sirhan was still in the building or something. And, and you know, I remember a security guy saying, we need to keep you safe. Wow. I, it was just a bad choice of words on his part. I think it was all right, but we were really freaked out, and um, it was really upsetting all day. But I, but since then, I've, it's given me the the best, the most attention that I've ever gotten as an actor. I mean, I've had you know several. All of the reviews, you know, have singled me out, which I never expected. Because when I did the film, I thought 
this will be a good experiment. I'll work with my friends again and everything. But there was always the possibility that, you know, the director Craig told me that, you know, we may just hear your voice. I, I, we're going to film everything you do, but we may never cut to you. It, it just depends on how I decide to make the movie. Oh, so wow. I thought I might never be seen, you know, it was a possibility. Uh -huh. So I gave up any sort of idea of career advancement or accolades or anything from it. So to get this the attention that I've been getting now has has been really nice because I feel like I did did it for the right reasons. I think like if you do those things for the right reasons, then um, you know the rewards are great. If you go into it expecting rewards and things, you, you know you're inevitably disappointed or it doesn't work out that way. But it, it, people have been really incredibly nice to me. I don't know if they feel sorry for me because <laughs> I was you know I put myself out there like that. But we'll see. The movie hasn't been out in the world at large yet so maybe i'll be the most hated man in america soon i could only hope it would only be good for my career any publicity is good publicity right? yeah i think so and i mean if, if if it should happen i mean you know me i'm not i'm not i'm a perfectly pleasant guy so it's like but if it should happen that i get a great career out of playing you know awful people for the rest of my life that's good that's good i'll, I'll take it i'm not I don't have any vanity anymore about that. I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, I don't want to be seen as creepy or in a weird light or anything. But, How did you want to be seen? I mean, like every young actor starting out, I wanted to be James Dean, you know, or, mm -hmm. or you know, Marlon Brando or, you know, any of these, like, you know, sexy leading men. And, and I that, that was kind of, like, keeping me, like, from really soaring because I think I was, like, this character actor who just acted kind of stiffly because I was trying to, to, to look cool or handsome. And then once I let go of that dream, you know, I started doing these character roles and sort of embracing that more. And now I'm getting leading roles in movies. So I don't know, I, I guess there's a lesson in there somewhere, but, um, uh, I think it's just sort of like, you know, embracing who you are and, and that, that will carry you. I mean, you don't strike me as someone who would always play a creepy character. No, and I didn't always, but I think it was just a, an occupational hazard of just being a working actor for a long time out, out in L.A. meant or means auditioning for guest spots on television shows. And, and a giant percentage of the shows are these crime shows. And the guest stars are bad guys, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it, it, I was almost always the red herring, the person that, you think did it, but then they interview and they break him down and he's like, all right, I was there, but it wasn't me. And it sort of explains things. So I got that a lot, but I, I played a, a rapist of elderly women. I played a retarded pedophile. I played, you know, all, you know, drug dealer, you know, serial killer, um, all, all kinds of horrible, horrible things like, you know, and, uh, it was, I took that, when I took that break, like when the writing took off. I was like, I don't want to keep doing this. You know, I played a pretty pleasant, although conflicted guy in Great World of Sound. And I was like, now that's nice. Like at least somebody can see me in that light. And somebody that knows me really well knows that I could play that. And I did, you know, and I quitted myself well on that. And I just thought like, well, we'll see, like, I'll take those other parts, but like, let's focus on not, you know, being thought of as like creepy guy for a while. And uh, so these other sort of things have come, but then, you know, strangely enough, it comes back to, I, I don't even think that I was cast in compliance because I thought I could be creepy. It was just that the character actually comes off as, what's creepy about him? He's just sort of banal, normal mm -hmm. person. 
And uh, I, I was cast because, you know, the director and I had a shorthand and it was going to be a difficult process with the calls and all these things. And he needed to know that there was somebody he could just trust to just, you know, be able to do what needed to be done while they worked with the other actors. And um, that's why I was there for that. But strangely enough, you know, it comes back to, you know, that kind of part. And then I'm getting all this attention. So I'm not going to fight it. Well, the, you know, creepy uh, main character is better than creepy uh, to the side pedophile, you know. That's true. Yeah, the retarded pedophile that's just sort of like one of the mechanicals in Shakespeare's plays. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back and ask you a little about the writing. I was very intrigued by your story about uh, working on uh, the mullet feature for five years mm -hmm. and then setting it aside and actually accomplishing something in two mm -hmm. weeks. What was, what was the process of, of... What would you tell people about, you know, how to be productive in writing? I mean, if something is taking you five years, is it maybe time to set that aside? Well, I think, I mean, you know, to start off, like, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm movie nuts since I was a kid. You know, I'm obsessed with movies. And I have three brothers, but my, my, my brother is two years older than me. And I were, have been obsessed with them since I was a kid. So acting was my way in, but I always wanted to make films. And, and so I finally got my chance, and I wrote that short, you know. And I inherently knew movies, so I just figured I know how to write a movie. Mm. But... I sat down to write this movie that was based on the short and it just wasn't working for whatever reason it wasn't connecting with people mm -hmm. but I just worked on it every day you yeah. know I just wrote and wrote and I'm sure you know in retrospect what was happening was I was getting better at writing by writing every day giving to people and getting their reactions sometimes they're very specific reactions as to why something didn't work and changing that mm -hmm. And even though it never really fully like worked or took off there are good things about it I just read it again recently but when I then put it aside, I just had another idea. A friend of mine had an idea that I asked if I could, you know, write a script about. I actually felt very furious and angry at the time because I had done Great World of Sound and I did this movie, Rescue Dawn, with Werner Herzog and, and Christian Bale and, and this Jesse James movie with Brad Pitt. And I came back to L.A. and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a star now. And I'm gonna, like, give me a pilot. And nothing was happening. And I was, like, living in, you know, in a studio apartment and... um I was angry and I was I was smoking pot still and how could you be angry and smoking pot? I know, isn't it crazy? And uh, imagine me without it. And then uh, and watching all these like Sam Peckinpah movies and stuff, incredibly violent, you know, westerns and things. And so I wrote this incredibly violent western that I just kept writing every day. I didn't think about what I was writing about. I was just like, what happens next? What happened next? And 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 then it it connected with people. And I think the reason that it connected with people is that. I just used my, I tapped my unconscious mind about all the things that I was feeling at that mm -hmm. time. It was just this anger and frustration about how you work and you work and, and there's nothing at the end of it. And that was like, you know, the, the Iraq war was, was, you know, about two years in, right? And that was incredibly infuriating what was going on, the Bush years and all this stuff. And all these things that I had been feeling and some things that I wasn't even in touch with that I was feeling were infused into this story, which luckily was a good story with good characters and dialogue and action set pieces and things like that. And people connected with that, but they also unconsciously connect with the feeling that you put into it, which I think is true of like mm -hmm. performing too. And so I think it was just, again, I dropped all my vanity and I wasn't writing it as something for, like the other one I always thought like, I was writing to get it made so I could direct it or for people to like it. And this was, purely an exercise and it was just really coincidence that I, I ran into an old friend who was a cameraman on an indie movie that I made 
when I first moved out here in 98, who was now an agent. And he said, had you written anything lately? Because he had liked the short. And I said, well, I just, I have this. And I gave it to him and he was like, I want to represent you. And he put it out there on the market and it, it really took off. I mean, it re people really responded to it and people are still trying to make it, you know, five years later. And, um, you know, we might get a chance to finally make it this year, but it, it encouraged me to write other things, which I did, which got me other jobs. And I was getting that, it was before sort of these more recent movies that I acted in, but I was getting a respect that I never felt like I got when I was acting, you know, and so it was just encouraging to me. So I think the thing was just that I, I wrote every day. I think like anything else, you just have to work at it for a really long time, probably 10 times as hard as you think you do or a thousand times as hard as you think you do for a million times as long than you think you do. But like, what's that 10,000 hour rule, you know, that, that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about in this book, uh, Outliers, which is just like, if you practice anything for 10,000 hours, you, you master it, they say. You know, that's why a lot of children who start with music early on become these, you know, mm. uh, impresarios. No, that's not, not the right word. Yeah. They, they become these sort of masters of these, you know, these, instrument, these instruments and things, you know, uh, because you just spend a lot of time on it. So however many hours I logged in those five years writing that script, I think I was just teaching myself how to write. And now it, it comes easy to me, just like acting, which I've been doing since I was a child, I think... I only really got good at it in the last, you know, seven, six, seven, eight years. Uh, I don't, I, I had talent before and I was castable, but I, I feel like I really have, you know, uh, gotten good at it now. I wouldn't say that I've mastered it, but I, I feel like I've gotten very good at it and it, and it comes, I can do better work and it's easier to do better work. Mm. Yeah, that, that would be what I would say. It's just, it just takes hard work and a lot of time. A lot of people want to know what what the how how do you get get it to an agent and all that stuff like that. And it's just like I can tell you that, but if you haven't done the work, then it's probably not going to result in anything, you know. So you're a big believer in doing the work. Yes, I think it's all about the work. I mean, even even therapy is about doing the work. It's like tons and tons of hours of it. You know, if I was, I've been in an analysis for oh my goodness, 11 years or something. And that started off four days a week, you know. It's it's still two days a week now, and I've been in and out of it. But, like, it's just, this takes a long time. Things take a long time. But, I mean, I can honestly say that professionally and personally, my life has never been better, you know. But that's uh, that's the thing they tell you early on. You know, they tell you that, you know, you're going to have to pay your dues, you know, put in the work. And you're like, fine, you don't know it's going to be 20 years, you mm -hmm. know. And in a way, it's kind of good because if you if I had known it was going to be 20 years, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I'm glad that I didn't know because I'm glad that I, I did do it. Uh, throughout anything you've gone through, you've remained extremely productive, is it? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely periods where I wasn't, you know. There was two whole years there in that period I was describing at the beginning. <laughs> I was just a lump. And uh, I feel like I kind of lost two years of my life, you know. But at the same time, I don't. I think if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have done then what happened next. It was like such a reaction to the pendulum swinging one way that it had to swing so far back the other way, you know. Mm -hmm. But now I've found more of a balance and try not to let things get so bad, you know, and try to monitor it more so that, you know, it could sort of stay balanced more in the middle. So, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Are you working on anything right now? Oh, I'm writing a film uh, for HBO and for uh, Tribeca, which is Robert De Niro's company. So, I mean, that's right there. That's somebody who's been my hero since I was 
you know, 12, 13 years old, which is a, a true life story, another true story about a guy named Bobby Egan, who is a barbecue chef from Hackensack, New Jersey, and uh, runs a restaurant, but uh, through a crazy series of events and his own sort of unusual personality became this conduit between the North Koreans and the United States government from 1993 up until, you know, pretty recently, even including, you know, a humanitarian aid that he managed to send there and negotiating for um, the release of POWs and culminating in, in negotiating for their entire nuclear weapons program, which he tried to sell to the United States government for $60 billion. So that's a really unusual, funny, you know, uh, interesting, sort of stranger than fiction story. I've been working on that for, uh, I guess about the last eight months or so. And, uh, I'm getting ready to sort of do the final, uh, rewrite on it and then we'll go out to actors. And, uh, at this point, James Gandolfini is, is cast to play the part, but we'll see if he, he does it or not. And we have to find a director and all that stuff, but that's what I've been working on. And, promoting the films Innkeepers and Compliance. There's lots of Twitter, Twittering about Innkeepers, right? Yeah, You've well, mostly from it? me. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, maybe you're retweeting, yeah, but yeah. Um, I've seen nothing but Innkeeper for... Yeah, it's been a, yeah, it's been a very popular... Um, I mean, this director had a big following from his last film, and so people were excited to see this one. So, yeah, there's a lot of people in the blogosphere mm-hmm. who are writing about it and, and, and enjoying it. Loving you. What is your Twitter account? Uh, it's uh, Pat, P-A-T underscore Healy, H-E-A-L-Y. So follow Pat Healy. Vivi, yeah. uh, um, Pat, uh, he knows about film. He's a great actor. He's a writer. Aficionado, mm-hmm. uh, you might say about... Uh, you said I was a great movie. actor, but you didn't say I was a great writer. Sorry, oh. sorry. Oh, you know, I've never seen anything that you've written. It's true. So... Could you say it anyway? Yes, you're a great writer. Thank you. And we had uh, the opportunity to watch a film with Pat, um, of his choosing, I believe. Oh. Um, yes, I think it's it kind of brought everything together, everything that Pat loves about filmmaking mm. and creativity. Do you remember what the film was called? I don't. Uh, it was called uh, Troll 2. Oh, of course, Troll 2, yeah. Now, why did you choose that uh, film for screening? I think that it represents uh, the best in all of us. I think you're going to have to get I mean, more specific on that. Well, um, I feel like it is, it's known as the best worst movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting uh, in what not to do. Um, so it's but there's, the, the, the very creation of it, I think, is a, a, a celebration of the human spirit to, to really just you know, get it together and, and, and make something against all odds, including, you know, common sense. Including the end results, whatever the end result might yeah. be. Don't think about that. But everyone is, I mean, everyone has seen it and everyone is, is enjoys it. So, I mean, I, I, they, I guess they did a good job. There's a the whole documentary about the film and it has a huge cult following, so. Well, we had not uh, heard of this film. We've watched many great films. It's because we're not American. I guess so, but we had right. never, never seen Troll 2 before. Well, the director is not American either, but I think he's he Italian was, He was Italian, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure that he spoke English. By the way, the word troll, interestingly enough, is never uttered in the film at all. There are no, no trolls. No, it's, because, a, it's about goblins. It's Nilbog. <laughs> yeah. I was but confused it, by that as well. I guess for, for, for profit reasons, uh, the, or for, yeah, they, they just linked it to another film, uh, Troll. Did it have anything to do with Troll? No. no. It has nothing to do with it. 
No. That movie had Sonny Bono in it. Wait, the, so ri- it was the original com- one. Completely unrelated? Completely unrelated, but I think that the same company that produced it okay. or something said, you know, just decided to call a troll too to try and make some extra bucks off of it. I was thinking that I didn't understand lots of it because I had not seen Troll. No, it has nothing to do with Troll. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it just you didn't understand lots of it because um, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really late at night and we were drunk. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Fifi <laughs> <laughs> um, was pointing out that we had, previous to that, we'd had a very in-depth and serious discussion about the craft of acting. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so if I can lay out the scene, we were sitting in a courtyard. Okay. Uh, it was, uh, I think, it, you know, it was about midnight. So we all had glasses of fine wine. Mm-hmm. We were discussing the finer points of... Uh, Moscato, I believe. Moscato. Sparkling wine. <laughs> we did change to Prosecco. Oh, yes. In about an hour. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, oh. Sipping on this wine, uh, discussing the finer points of the craft of acting... You know, I was uh, silently listening to these uh, heartfelt descriptions of some scenes that, you know, you had done. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, we end, uh, we cap it with a watching of Troll 2. Yeah. Well, well, you know, one leads to the other. You it know, was a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, all... it's like a sorbet. Yeah. <laughs> we had been thinking far too, too much, considering. <laughs> it's like a sorbet with tax in it. <laughs> It's like a sharp sorbet that cleanses the palate but <laughs> stings you at the same time and makes your mouth bleed. In Pat's defense, uh, he did have an app on his phone that he was using continuously that made a fart sound. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually, I, I only use that for the Oscars, but, you know, I brought it on that special occasion, you know, give it an extra little oomph. No, it, it added much to it. Yeah, it, Whenever it does. Whenever my attention started to wander, I brought it right back with the fart. You get the Atomic Fart app from, from, from the App Store on, on your iPhone, and, you know, we make any, any boring silences, <laughs> Sophie's Choice, any movie, it really brightens it up. We, we tried to watch the documentary afterwards, but uh, I don't think we made it through. I, was, I found that very informative to find out that the, the director was Italian and insisted on that cadence that everyone delivered their lines Yeah. In. So right? that was a, the horrible, horrible cadence. Because that's how what made sense to him. Right. And I love that it's a stylistic choice. He also doesn't understand why people find the film funny, though. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 all for it because people are saying it, but he doesn't he doesn't understand the. Is it? Uh, it's the like irony. the room a bit, right? So when the director of the room, well, no. who knows what that guy thinks? At he's least from Mars. He's he switched his story and <clears throat> said it's he made a jokey film on. I think I yeah, I think that was a. Yeah. That, that was that's a actually true because I cynical op- money grab there. I uh, was on the website before it became a giant hit. The room, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I was on the website reading uh, the description, and it was a dark movie. It was a. a a dramedy, no, a drama, I'm sorry. Dramedy is a word that had not been coined yet. Yeah. Um, and then uh, maybe two months later or three months later, I go back to the website and it completely redone to say that it is a dark comedy. Yeah. So at least that man knew how to change the yeah. marketing of his film. Yeah, originally his, he said it was a, his tribute to Tennessee Williams and then suddenly <laughs> it's a, in Benny Hill or something. I've only watched that film in a theater and everyone was screaming so I fell asleep because I couldn't hear what was going on. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's something we it can is put fun on to, our list of... Uh, I would have thought that it wouldn't be that. Like, Rocky Horror was never that much fun to me to watch at home. I, I enjoyed, as a teenager, seeing it in the theater. But The Room has turned out to be quite fun to watch <laughs> at home. 
There's a lot of sincerity in it, it's, right? It's that, completely sincere. I yeah. mean, that's what I think, uh, you know, I don't, when people try to make something jokey, it's usually not funny, but it is a completely sincere movie, so. It actually, it, it pained me to see on a, like, third watching uh, that there's, the special effects are actually quite good. I'd just seen Birdemic. Yeah. Uh, which has horrible, horrible uh, CGI, if you can even call it that. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the uh, camera work on the roof of the building is all uh, green screen. Yeah, it's no, there's definitely a lot of money that went into it. It's yeah. just no, no skill. But I do, I, I, but you know, as, as a cinephile, it's probably shameful of me to, to admit this, but I think I've seen The Room five times, and I've never seen an Ingmar Bergman film. So <laughs> I, I'm trying to watch one of those, you know, soon. I think I'll watch Persona or something, because it just doesn't seem right that I've seen, you know, Birdemic half a dozen times uh -huh. and The Room five times, but I've never seen, you know, Cries and Whispers. <laughs> Will you bring the fart app with you just in case? During, uh, during the Bergman film? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe out of respect, I'll, I'll refrain from that. But if he bores me, it's coming out. <laughs> if Ingmar bores me, it's coming out. You should know. Do you have any other awful films you can recommend? Uh, other awful films? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm assuming we all agree Troll 2 is awful, right? Yeah. Well, what would they call sort of like guilty pleasures? Mm. Like the, the ones that, that immediately spring to mind are Death Wish 3, which is the third in the Charles Bronson Death Wish series, which is... Uh, this has to be seen to be believed. It's just, it's enjoyable on the same level that those films are. Another film that's a longer film, but uh, well worth your time, is The Postman with Kevin Costner, which he also directed, which I highly recommend for fun. And um, uh, the other one that springs to mind immediately is Dreamcatcher, which is a Stephen King adaptation uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan and written by William Goldman, the great screenwriter about an alien invasion oh well it's it's a group of guys who became friends when they were kids like you know so many other stephen king stories because they all share telepathy mm. um and um including one who is a retarded played by donnie Wahlberg, who uh, loves scooby-doo and uh that becomes important later on but uh they they all have uh they're all telepathic and they all decide to spend a weekend in a cabin in the woods um, but one thing their tele telepathy doesn't tell them is that there's about to be a giant alien invasion. Um, How could that be? And uh, yeah, and a group of military guys comes, led by Morgan Freeman, who is this general with giant eyebrows for some reason that stretch out into the sky. <laughs> and Tom Sizemore as his uh, as his uh, you know second right hand man, and they uh, try and stop this alien invasion. It's quite incredible. The aliens somehow make their way into the people's bodies and then launch out their buttholes like in an explosive <laughs> way where you feel like the director have hemorrhoids when he made this because it's really very sort of strikingly uh, bold and personal choice um but i, I recommend uh, that one and uh let's see if i could throw one more in there good so bad it's good i uh, i enjoy staying alive <laughs> which is the sequel to saturday night fever directed by Sylvester Stallone, starring John Travolta, who, it's 1983, and he's, his character, it's six years later, is trying to be a dancer on Broadway in, like, the worst Broadway show you've ever seen, but you're supposed to believe that it's good. Um, that's good. It's a good story, too. One of my friends uh, saw that at the drive-in as a kid on a double feature with Bambi. I just oh enjoy saying that. <laughs> and his, he wears a glittery headband in it. Naturally, because yeah. he had to update his look to stay with the time. It features the Frank Stallone hit single, Far From Over. 
some of you may know. Did he stay alive? He is, yeah. I suppose I hope they do another one. It's you... not it's not going to be called staying spelt though. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next one is going to be called just letting it all hang out there. <laughs> Do you have any desires to direct an awful film? Uh, I would hope not. It'd be not be awful. I mean, as a fan of films, that's a. I don't think it'd be possible for me to direct something awful, but on um, purpose with the tongue-in-cheek. Uh, eh, I don't like uh, when they do it on purpose. I like, I, like you said, the room is sincere. It's like that's what makes it. But you can be so sincere in life and then catch yourself and realize I am always true. the top. But you wouldn't be, <laughs> you wouldn't be conscious of it making it, you know. So like, I, I would. Yeah. I don't like it when they're winking at you. Like, we know this is bad. It's no, like, I like when it's so that, sincere that it's, that it's enjoyable. What if you got an awful script? Would you be tempted to make it? If it was, if else? I saw a way to do it that way, yeah. I, I might do it. But mostly the, the awful scripts you can't even read, you know, unless it's for a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well. And the, then all bets are off. Then you can read it again and again yeah. and again. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Something. I was just checking some notes. Can you stay? Uh, can you can you stay pleasant, please? Oh, there were notes about Pat. Oh, if that makes any difference. What, what did you? I saw you, you. You were clearly eating something over there. <laughs> or you sort of used the page to cover it. What are you doing, Bibi? We're taking a vitamin. I oh. was told we were supposed to arrive having eaten. I'm a little peckish. I, I will share. If, if I'd like. known we were going to eat during this thing, you know. I, I apologize. No. I, I had a um, interviewing pre-interview for our next guest uh, before this one. On the couch so over there. On the podcasting couch. So okay. You guys, I, I made some notes about Pat too, but I'm not going to uh, get them out. Or would you like me to? Let me check them. Hold on. Uh, BB, the only thing I have on my notes is uh, some live shows that uh, Pat does. Of course. Uh, one was the public school, which uh, you tell the stories. About yeah, public own. schools where we tell stories. Uh, well, yeah, I did tell the story about the um, being rained on in the movie theater there. That's, uh, I've done that occasionally. I just did one. Sometimes they ask me to do it. There's different topics they assign to people when you tell a story. Mm. Any of those coming up or no? Uh, no, not not that I'm doing. I mean, they, they do do public school, I think, the second week of each month. So they'll do it at the M-Bar. I'm not sure what the date of the next one is, but I won't be involved with that one. Then never mind. Yeah, but it's do a good show. I recommend you see it. Do people, uh, do they come up to you afterwards, like ladies, and say, oh, I'm so sorry for your getting rained on? Yeah, I get a lot of action that way. You do? Yeah, really? sure. I don't sure, why not? Well, the way you sing it. Yeah. With a sneer? Yes. Yeah. I believe him. I enjoy it. And you're doing another show as well? Yes, I do the, uh, I guess, what is it called now? The Rudy Cassoni Booze Bag, Bag Review. I don't know. Now it's at El Cid, so maybe it has a completely different name. I right. don't know. Which we're, 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 we're fortunate enough to be working together somewhat in that. Yes. I enjoy that. Uh, that is coming up in April? March. March? Yes, uh, some... 23rd? Something like that. March that 23rd. We, we put up a link. Yeah, yeah. Put up a link for that. And I, I might be doing some... I think I'm going to do a show called Blam Blam Blam, which is a stand-up show on March 13th. At the R bar. I don't think I've seen you do stand-up before. I don't do it that much. I hadn't done it in like five years, and I started doing it again uh, in the fall of last year. So I'm enjoying doing it again. I don't put that much work into it. I'm not like. Uh, so you, you know. just phone it in and. Uh... No, no. I mean, I work into it, but I don't. I don't. I haven't put much work into that as a career. It's sort of more of a hobby, and I enjoy doing it. So I, I do it from time to time. But um, no, no. I have great respect for for the people that that 
are very good at it and do put a lot of work into it. It's just, it's for me, it's more of a sort of side side thing that I do mm-hmm. once in a while. So we saw a comedian a couple of days ago who came on to stage and uh, tell us that he not want to be there. It was such a great viewing experience for us. Oh, that's that's a wonderful <laughs> opening. <laughs> yeah, it's like neither do we. <laughs> kind of yes. Uh. But he uh, also told us he was drunk, so, you know. Was he funny? Uh, he's. I've seen him before be funny. He was not that funny that night. Oh, really? It wasn't your husband, was it? <laughs> Blainzo? Yeah. No, Blainzo doesn't usually let me uh, see him perform. Uh, he keeps me away from the venues. He doesn't want you to see the strings. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he usually doesn't come home that early when he goes out to perform. He has to network afterwards. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> but, a, you know, it's his code job. word. Oh, yeah. You, you network word? after your shows as well? Sure. I'm sorry, code word for what? Um, yeah. What does that mean? Well, this has been an incredible interview. Yeah, it has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. So, um, yeah, any other contact information? Uh, well, you can catch me at, um, well, like I said, Pat underscore Healy on, tum- on Twitter. And then on Tumblr, I think it's the Pat Healy at dot Tumblr dot com or, or the Tumblr, Tumblr dot com, T-U-M-B-L-R, the slash the Pat Healy. I think is what it is. Okay. And I write about movies there and some other and bullshit. Your, and your MMA fighting. And my MMA fighting, Pat Bam Bam Healy. <laughs> he and I are wrestling for dominance of the uh, <laughs> Google, uh, you know, first. I was first for a long time. Now he seems to be coming up a little bit, but now I think I seem to be gaining on him again. But Thank I, goodness the other Pat Healy died in 1970. <laughs> no, he's, <laughs> he's fighting now. Like, I got picked up recently by a driver who thought he was picking up that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was surprised to see my doughy body. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it. And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on... Uh, Do you want people following you on Facebook? Do you take anybody? Yeah, I'll take anybody. Okay. You have to be hot, though. All right. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. oh, guys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you guys. All right, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.